We are a nation that has a government, not the other way around. And this makes us special among the nations of the earth. Our government has no power except that granted it by the people. Hello, this is Chris Fox with Chase Millsap. We're from Veterans for Liberty, and we're hosting our first podcast for Profiles of Liberty, where we highlight successful veterans. And today we've got three special guests, Joe Soloski, Mike Slaw, and Steve Weiner. Chase, you actually know all three of these folks from your time at the Naval Academy, right? Uh, yeah, Chris, that's, that's actually correct. So these three upstanding Americans uh, at one point in time were plebes at the Naval Academy, and for some reason, I was the guy that was put in charge of teaching them the laws of the Navy. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so apparently, I mean, they've either done the exact opposite of what I said or they really they really paid attention because uh, they've kind of come full circle now. And it's good to see them on the other side. So, d- boys, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Chase. Appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hey, thanks for being here. So, first off is Joe Soloski. Now, you live in uh, Nuremberg, Germany right now, Yeah, correct? just outside Nuremberg. Okay, and I've got here that, that you're a key account manager at Sport Trader AG, responsible for the growth of gaming services in Africa, Asia, and the Americas. You're working on your cross-continental MBA at Duke University. They've got a business school in Germany. That's, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> I'm able to just work from, uh, do it remotely. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. Now, it also says here you're, you were a management and program analyst at the FBI for nearly six years. You interned for U.S. Representative Peter King in Washington, D.C. Of course, you're a graduate of the Naval Academy with a degree in economics and Spanish. And you had a one-year period of time with the New York Yankees. And on the first day, you actually got to meet Yogi Berra? That's, yeah, that's correct. Service selected the New York Yankees. <laughs> pretty, pretty common transition. Yeah, yeah, I hear about that often. Yeah, that's very cool. <laughs> now, you also conducted a one-on-one interview with former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff General Martin Dempsey after he made his transition from the military to the NBA. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So in the theme I talked about as far as, um, you know, in, in, in writing about sports for those few months that I that I did it that helped me kind of land where I'm at, um, I was writing mostly about sports and technology, which which are huge interests of mine, but uh, I saw that General Martin Dempsey, former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, got a job with the NBA, and it was just too juicy of a story for me to not pursue. And, you know, with, with someone with a military background joining the NBA, so, you know, I I reached out to probably a dozen different people, whether it was through you know, military contacts or classmates contacts, uh, whoever, FBI contacts, and, and eventually uh, he emailed me through whoever it was and said, heard you're trying to get in touch, uh, how, how can we set this up? So uh, General Dempsey was nice enough to, to talk to me for 45 minutes, and, and originally I went into the story kind of wanting to hear about his um, his transition from the military, or, or hear about his job at the NBA, and it really ended up being a story about his transition from the military to the civilian life. And you know, for a, a man of his stature, you know, advising advising the president on all military issues, you know, talking about how humbled he was working in the sports industry and how you know he 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 opened up his insecurities about uh, you know entering the civilian sector. Um, you know, from being the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff was, uh, I mean, I, I learned a ton and um, I, I, tr- I really tried to uh, get that across in the article I wrote about him. And I think it was well received. I mean, it was more, ended up being more about uh, a, a military transition piece and advice for veterans than it was about a, a sports story and, and his connections to, um, you know, his West Point and his Army uh, his his army colleagues that are in the sports industry, such as Coach Coach K and um, Greg Popovich, so it was it was really really neat um, and uh, once in a lifetime opportunity to get to talk to uh, a man of his accomplishment and his his stature. Wow, interesting uh, experience there. And we've got Mike Slaw from San Diego. Uh, you're the head of products at Spark Finance. Uh, that's an education startup for learning about the stock market. 
and you're the co-founder with Steve Weiner of Vet Tech Trek, which we'll get into here in a minute. You were former director of operations for over 120 EOD personnel. You've got an MPP from Harvard University, their Kennedy School of Government, and you're also the co-founder of TroopSwap, which is now named ID.me. So can you tell us a little bit about what TroopSwap yeah, is? TroopSwap was a, that was a school project I did with Blake and Matt uh, when we were uh, two guys who were former Army Rangers um, who were at the business school the same time I was at the Kennedy School, or my roommates, Blake was. Uh, and TroopSwap started off as a school project, and uh, we ended up being able to raise a little bit of money on it. And uh, I since left um, – right after the Kennedy School, I went on to active duty, and Blake and Matt um, kept hitting it hard. And it, they've done a phenomenal job over the last five years, um, raised a lot of money, done a lot of really interesting um, grant work with the government to really sort of lead the way in the, the digital identity space. I mean, when we started it, it was basically like a Craigslist for the military. And, and so I don't, from how you, you go from, you know, Craigslist for the, for the military to probably the leading provider of, uh, online identity credential and, and brokering solutions, um, it, it's pretty phenomenal the, the work they've done in the last five years, but, just shows you what you start as a school project uh, can can sometimes transform into something much, much bigger. Well, that's fantastic. And that's exactly what VFL seeks to do is is highlight a lot of these positive stories of veterans to encourage others, balance some of the negativity we hear in the media. You know, we've got all these issues with the VA debacle and PTSD and, and that kind of thing. But uh, there's really a lot of a great stuff going on and a lot of a lot of great veterans that are contributing to our society in, in a large way. So we've also got uh, Steve Weiner here with us, and you're living in Philadelphia, also co-founder of uh, Vetrek with Mike, working on your MBA at UPenn, uh, Ivy League school, at the Wharton School. It says you're working at Button, which is a mobile app for infrastructure. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, Button is a um, B2B mobile infrastructure uh, startup in New York City that connects mobile applications um, to provide contextual commerce experiences. And as that I know that sounds pretty ethereal, but um, essentially what they do is they provide software to mobile app developers to be able to connect apps together um, and get people to either uh, buy stuff or um, take rides with Uber or book tables or, or make a reservation on OpenTable or um, something like that. Um, I'm working on the on the sales team, helping them develop partnerships with different mobile application companies. Here in LA, we've got a new food delivery service through Uber, where it looks like they've partnered up. Is that the kind of thing you're working on, where you take one one app and connect it to another with with a, a mutual benefit for consumers? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uber was actually the first partner for Button, um, and uh, and they've since expanded to uh, include. Uh, Airbnb, OpenTable, Ticketmaster, and uh, and Foursquare, and are announcing a lot of uh, neat partnerships over the next few months. Very cool. And so to go on with your with your bio here, uh, looks like you performed the first digital currency venture market analysis at Goldman Sachs. You worked for Google uh, with their electronic payments team, and then most interesting, you were a nuclear engineer on the Seawolf class fast attack sub which is, what, the fastest and quietest sub in the world, right? It was. It was designed during the Cold War uh, and quickly became um, a little over-engineered and obsolete uh, based on our mission changes and um, was uh, one of a, of a three-ship class of submarines, which made it very hard to find spare parts since, uh, since they stopped making all of them uh, about 15 years ago. Okay, and you also had your degree from the Naval Academy in economics. So, Chase, let's go ahead and, and start asking some questions. All three of your graduates, and you're all roommates at the Naval Academy. Is that right? That's correct. Yep, freshman year. Wow. And how did you manage to stay friends and become business partners over all these years? Well, I guess uh, we didn't see each other enough. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> The roommate, the roommate situation actually didn't stop uh, after freshman year. Um, it was funny. I actually lived with Mike's little brother, Chris, for like two years in D.C., and then Steve and I lived together pretty recently in D.C. So, 
um, you know, weddings, reunions, um, pretty much any excuse to see one another um, or live with one another. We, we were able to conjure that up. Yeah, so it was kind of cool, you know, seeing you guys kind of on the, your beginnings where you first come in and, you know, everyone's kind of from all over the country and we throw you together and we pretty much make you miserable as much as we possibly can. And I don't know what was going on, you know, when, I, when we weren't paying attention, but something happened where you guys were roommates where you sort of immediately kind of built that trust that you've kept. And, you know, what, how were you guys able to maintain that, you know, just being across the world where you're at right now? This is Mike. I'll, I'll jump in on that one. Uh, I, I remember there's sort of a very early moment where um, I, I think Joe and I were doing, we had the midnight watch at the Naval Academy, and, and that's where the, the, I think that's where he popped the question, uh, do you want to be my roommate for the academic year? I have got this other uh, fellow Long Islander guy, Steve, that, that uh, has already agreed to pair up. So uh, the two Long Island guys, they, they already sort of had that shared background in common but uh like chase said i mean you have a lot of just like uh really my background growing up was probably a lot you know living in rural michigan was was very different than stephen joe's but um it i I think that there is a lot of folks that you know coming through from uh either whether you're from come from a service academy or you're going through uh fraternity indoctrination or you're going through military boot camp you know, I've seen a lot of other good examples of folks in the military that, you know, you, you, when you, those first, that first couple months uh, definitely sticks with you, provides a lot of sort of uh, common experiences to laugh at and look back upon. And for us, it's, it's definitely been, we, you know, we, we have, you know, I, I haven't been able to live with Stephen Joe. And so it's been definitely, we, we prioritize being able to take yearly trips and, things like that. But I think it's just, it really does boil down to that common experience that we all went through together. Being in, in the military, I think we, we build these really strong bonds together, whether through combat experiences or training, like you said. And when time passes by, for me at least, when I see my old friends, it's, it's like no time has gone by at all. You know, we, we pick up right where we left off. But I think it's important, especially now that we have Facebook and social media, that we stay in touch with each other and, and you know, keep cultivating our relationships uh, over the years to do great things like you guys are. Um, so Mike and Steve, can you guys explain a little bit together uh, about Vet Tech Trek, uh, what it is and, and why you guys created it? Sure thing. Um, I'll take that. This is Steve here. So M- Mike and I have always been kind of trading ideas, uh, you know, crazy moonshot ideas about how we're going to start companies and um, and, you know, eventually take over the world one day. Um, now, now, who's pinky and who's the brain in this? <laughs> I guess that depends on uh, who's got the dumb idea um, at, the, at that given moment. This, uh, earlier this year, Mike was just getting back from a deployment. Um, he had just had a baby and was thinking about what his next steps were going to be, and whether he's going to get out of the Navy or not. I was... Uh, pretty deep into business school and um, exploring new opportunities, especially in the startup world. And I invited Mike on a trip that I was taking to San Francisco to meet with a bunch of tech companies with with an organization that I founded on campus dedicated to financial technology. And I told Mike, uh, hey, just don't shave in the morning and and don't tell anybody that you don't that you don't go to to business school. Um, and he uh, and he showed up. Thankfully, he didn't tuck his shirt in and and looked like uh, he was ready to kind of walk into a startup. And and Mike, who you know, he talked a little bit earlier about founding a company when he was at uh, at Harvard and um, had to had to leave the life behind. Um, to enter the Navy and do his, his mandatory service. So um, this was an opportunity for him to kind of check out what's happened over the last uh, five or six years since, he, since he's been down a rabbit hole in, um, in South America or Afghanistan or something like that. So after the, after the two-day trip, um, Mike kind of looked at me and said, hey, we got to do something like this for vets, which, which you know, m- meaning bringing them – to tech companies and uh, and sort of lifting the veil, getting a feel for culture and and you know 
um, taking some of the guesswork out of military transitions because we watched too many of our friends um, go through painful transition processes where they were not well-informed. Um, maybe they were taking a pay cut or doing a job that really didn't bring them a whole lot of satisfaction, and we wanted to at least open their eyes to a new sector, which is something that we were really passionate about. So we actually kind of faked it. Um, we did. We ran the first trek in May, with just a couple of months after after we hatched the idea, but we really kind of threw the thing together in about two weeks and reached out to our close network of friends, which is why there are a lot of submarine officers and uh, explosive ordnance disposal officers on the trip. But nevertheless, we were able to go visit companies like Google, Facebook, Uber, and Twitter all on the first track, and the reception was really, really good after, and not just on the participant side, but also on the host side from these tech companies who said, hey, when can you guys come back here? Um, we'd really That's like great. to do this again. And we said, okay, well, I guess we're on to something, so how about August? Um, they said, great, we'll see you then. And uh, we're like, okay, well, we need to go find more people to take on these things. Well, it turned out everyone kind of told a few people about it, and the idea of going to visit 12, company, 12 tech companies in two days with, uh, with 25 perfect strangers who all have common backgrounds but maybe you never knew them before uh, started to get become really exciting because it didn't feel like the traditional hiring conference or, or uh, you know, conversation that you might have with a headhunter where they're trying to jam you into a job in um, the middle of nowhere as a chemical plant manager um, making 70000 bucks a year, uh, which is a, a, a pretty common uh, role for junior officers. So uh, since then, and this is we've been running the organization for about five or six months, we've, we've gone on four treks to three different cities, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., and New York. We've brought over 100 veterans and spouses um, on these treks and met with over 30 companies and about half the people who have gone on these treks are in some form of uh, or fashion of the, the hiring process, whether they've either accepted a job or they're interviewing or they're having informational discussions with these companies. We've recently received nonprofit tax-exempt status as a 501c3 um, organization, which we're really excited about and uh, have a really great plan for 2016 to continue to expand our scope and lines of operation. Well, that's fantastic. So you're saying 50% uh, right now is your approximate job placement rate, or that's how many people are in the application process? It's just people who are in the process and are, are, and are continuing conversations with these companies. Um, and some of them, the, the reason why we think the number is, is not – you know, upwards of 80%, even 100%, because some people are still a couple years out um, from hitting the hitting the civilian workforce, and, you know, maybe they've got a few years left on their commitment, and they just wanted to find out more earlier, which we think is really awesome, because anyone who's ever gotten out of the military and has gone through the transition assistance program, the TAP class. Oh yeah, TAP prepares you, you know, a few months out, but that's not really adequate time to set up a whole new career. And if you're talking two or three years, that's that's pretty incredible. Yeah, and and you know, honestly, we would love for the the cycle to be a little bit shorter to help people get jobs um, right away. Um, but but truth be told, I feel really good about the people who are reaching out early because it means they're thinking about this stuff and it means that we're filling a void that didn't necessarily exist before or that the void existed, but there's a program that didn't exist, which is, hey, maybe maybe I just want to take a look. Like, I'm not really sure whether or not I want to get out. I want to see what's going on out there. And I'm starting to think about this two to three years out before I go to my last tour of duty um, and think about transitioning from the military. And um, right now there's nothing really that exists for people who are thinking that far ahead. Um, and, you know, we kind of want to wedge ourselves before the TAP class exists um, to provide some, some just really high-level and uh, strategic guidance to folks and also some, some tactical, really operational advice on, you know, what to do. So, uh, now, 
Okay. Now, you did mention that uh, junior officers and, of course, your, your EOD and, and sub folks are all Navy, right? Right. So Is this we, limited to naval officers or is VetTrack yeah. open to other branches and, and possibly enlisted folks? Yeah, that was actually that that was kind of a function of uh, of the first track kind of being just a friends of friends um, invitation only type thing. Um, we are we are really committed to making this um, a, as uh, interdisciplinary joint, um, you know, if you will, um, organization where we represent all the services. And now that's that's sort of you know, we won't call it a requirement. It's just sort of an expectation that we have on every trip that we represent every service. And not only that, um, outstanding enlisted folks as well, because um, there are just, there are just amazing people up and down the chain of command in the military. And, you know, we're not looking to just help out service academy grads here. This is some, this is an, there are opportunities in the tech sector for folks who, who have, Highly technical, very specific um, work experience. People with management experience. People who who have done all numbers of different things in the military. And not only that, I just want to make mention that you know the the tech sector is going through a sea change when it comes to diversity, and as is the military, um, especially with respect to integrating um, women. Uh, completely in the military, which was a recent announcement by the Secretary of Defense, um, but also uh, in, uh, in incorporating women into more uh, management and leadership roles in the tech sector, which really hasn't quite figured out how to attract more women into the the very beginning of their pipeline, which is through uh, educational channels and through STEM programs and so, so forth. So Mike and I have really made this one of our uh, – absolute strategic um, initiatives for Vet Tech Trek, which is we don't have a quota, so to speak, but our standard is that every, everything we do is going to be fair and represent the greater population and such that to the maximum extent possible, we want to show up to um, every event that we have and be representative of what we think is is um, the the right thing to do as opposed to just sort of who who are like the the first people to apply or you know who's um you know maybe got the 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 hardest bend toward technology i mean this is an opportunity for people to get educated and um and this is us leading by example making sure that we're as representative as possible as possible of the population. So, um, in our, in our experience, you know, we come from pretty male dominated parts of the military. And when you, when you eliminate 50% of the population, um, you, you kind of show up to the fight with one hand tied behind your back. And, uh, and, and we just don't want any part of that. Yeah. This is Chase, man. Like you guys are awesome, man. You're, you're doing the right things and you're killing it. And it's so good to hear that you guys have a strategic plan for this, that it's not, you know, I, I, I know how, you, you know, the ops kind of go through, Hey, let's make this happen. And then we sort of figure out the way forward. And I'm, I'm really glad to hear, you know, what you guys are doing. So as I'm sitting here, someone that is about to go back into the workforce and I'm looking at this, I'm like, Hey, maybe I want to find out more about tech. I mean, where do I even go? to start this process, um, you know, with linking up with you guys and, and how do I find you and what do I need to do to, to start looking at it? Sure. Yeah. This Mike here. Um, our website, vettechtrek.com is, uh, sort of where we've planted our flag. Um, but, but even more so our blog, uh, we, we've sort of done the best job we could to document the goings on and the happenings on medium, of uh, sort of like a play-by-play of where we visited, who we visited with on every trek that we've done so far. So that's really the best uh, way to sort of see um, what does a trek look like, uh, how am I expected to sort of like conduct myself, and, and what, you know, who, who am I expecting to meet with. Um, 
because we, we after we did the the first couple treks, um, the the companies are, are pretty adamant that you know we show up bet- with between twenty to twenty five people, and it, it was you know we we wanted to maximize it at first, and so it was sort of hard to find twenty five people who were willing to to fly with us up to San Francisco and visit tech companies. But as the friend of friend word got out a little bit um, after this last one we did. In New York, we had 80 people that expressed interest in 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 joining us for the trek. So that's when we we really we we were grateful that we had sort of documented everything that we'd done and everyone that we'd met with because uh, we know, knew that we needed to um, bring this to a wider audience. And it wasn't just about the people who were there in person on the treks. And we've started to look at ways to expand that effort. And we actually did our first virtual vet tech trek. So we're calling it vet tech trek live, which is a video conference where we hop back and forth between tech companies in all three cities we've previously visited. We spend 15 minutes just doing Q and a with someone at each company. So over the course of three hours, we visited 13 different companies, had over 2000 live participants who were veterans and spouses on the other side. So that that dramatically scaled uh, the impact that we could have and the, the outreach efforts that we have for 2016 um, it just started off as an experiment. We said, you know, hey, like, why, how, do, how do we reach more people um, and, and still kind of maintain the same quality of advice that was coming from the company side of the table? Uh, and, and so that, that worked out pretty well. And we want to we want to do that again, do the Vet Tech Trek live events in 2016. And I think that really the reason why that you know, the the advice was so good is that almost everybody we visited um, virtually at these companies were veterans who had already made the transition themselves. And so we've 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 found those people. We've graphed out uh, the network of people who have made successful transitions into tech. And we are, are doing everything we can to sort of unlock that that tribal knowledge that they have and, and, and open it up for for everybody. And that's uh, not not to give away too much of the the 2016 roadmap, but in addition to the live events, we, we want to do um, uh, more, more written publications, more more offline publications uh, that we can we can distribute to folks who are going through TAP uh, or they're going through a, a time where they're on deployment. They have a little bit of extra time to read um, content as well. No, that's awesome, man, and and. I saw on your website too, you've got a recording on there. So if you're deployed or you're just, you know, anywhere in the world, you can go back and you don't have to be on at that exact time. You know, you can still come back to the, to the website and, and get the information you need, which, yep, definitely. Which, which is great. That's really awesome. While we're talking about transition and this sort of like elephant in the room, you know, one day you're in the military, the next day you're out. Uh, Mr. Joe, Diamond Joe, I got to ask you first, man. You you got out. You were the first one. Can you kind of talk us through your transition, your path, and, and what that looked yeah, like? Yeah. So, you know, Steve brought up kind of you know the guesswork of of transitioning out of the military, and um, about six months after graduation, I was full of that guesswork. Um, you know, due to forces kind of outside of my control of force reduction uh, and the aviation pipeline, I was transitioning out of the military within six months of graduating from the Naval Academy, and I had about three months to figure that out. And I went through kind of the transitional programs, the TAP class, a couple of the other services that they offer. And um, I was kind of finding those those traditional roles that, that still exist that just weren't very, uh, I don't know, fulfilling to me, I guess. And I kind of kind of went rogue and went on my own and, and was like, you know, what what is it I like to do? Uh, what, and I was like, I always wanted to work in, in baseball. I love the Yankees. Uh, so, you know, this isn't necessarily a path I'd recommend, but uh, um, I flew down to Tampa for their spring training and um, asked if they needed an intern, and they, and they did, and they hired me on the spot. Um, so that's kind of my transition out of the military initially. So worked for the Yankees for a year. Um, you know, l- learned a ton just obviously working with athletes, uh, first time out of the military in, in five years, essentially, out of the military environment anyway. And then after that, I was like, all right, uh, that was a lot of fun. Yankees won the World Series. Uh, kind of want to get back to my roots, uh, you know, get back to that service, uh, sense of service that, that I was all about in, in entering the Naval Academy and join the government, join the FBI. 
and worked in the, the tech side there. And kind of throughout this whole process, I mean, I, I always leaned on the, the veteran resources, whether it was just reaching out over email, uh, you know, finding contacts. And, and I always found that, you know, the, the, the backbone of my network was always military. And those are the people I could rely on, reach out to, talk to, and they would always help me out. So, you know, they helped me kind of get involved with the FBI, um, started there in like in the IT side, worked there for three years, and then transitioned to their leadership strategy side for another three years. I thought I was going to think about doing a long-term career with them and then uh, moved out to Germany. My wife is a, a JAG in the Army, so she got stationed out here and came out here and, again, did a full transition. This is while I was, st- while I was in the, the Duke Mobile uh, MBA program, and kind of went back to, I did a 180 and was like, well, I kind of want to do the sports thing again. Um, so I started just, you know, without, without a job and just kind of being a student, was like, I'm going to start writing for a, a sports blog and found this great sports site called sporttechie.com and just got, got full into it. I mean, was doing interviews with people, profiling companies, um, doing like long form think pieces, um, and eventually that got me hooked up with some, some sports tech companies out here in Europe and uh, did a couple interviews with one uh, sports data delivery program and uh, just started with them like a month ago. And uh, I kind of have no idea where that's taking me, but uh, I'm excited about it. I'm traveling all over um, and kind of getting into the tech sports side. So, you know, melding the different interests uh, and kind of experiences I've had over the years. I mean, it, it hasn't been a, uh, a common transition or career path, but it's worked out really well so far. No, that's, that's so refreshing to hear. You kind of hit on two things that just made my ears perk up. Like, you know, one's this idea that that transition path isn't, there isn't like an A, B, C, you know, one, two, three process. It's kind of different for everybody. And really stepping up and saying, hey, I'm going to try – the things that I'm passionate about, even though it's kind of a risk, you know, I mean, you, you mm-hmm. go all over the map, but it's so good to hear that you're, you're doing that. Uh, it's exciting. It's also great to hear that the networks that he's established in the military, the friendships that he made have helped him further in his career as a, as a civilian in the FBI and, and afterwards. So now all three of you served in the U.S. Navy and had very different jobs. Steve, you talked about how you learned about diversity and how it's important for success, both in the military and in the private sector. And Joe, you talked about the networking, but what is the most powerful thing you learned, each of you, from your service that you keep with you today and that you find helps you in your endeavors as tech entrepreneurs? Man, that's a, that's a good question, um, which I don't think enough about. And I think um, that's something... That, that's sort of a lesson for most people, especially as they're thinking about their transition, is having having these stories to be able to illustrate some of these um, some of what you did in the military on the tip of your tongue is is really is really necessary because um, you know when I got when I left the military I realized that to most people um, in the United States um, we're just all veterans. Like there's no, oh, he was, in, he was in the Navy or he was in the Army. Like we're all GIs to everybody else. Um, and it, being able to highlight some of those differences I think is really key. Um, and especially be able to, to discuss what you did uh, through stories that are, um, that are appropriate for, for, you know, the majority of audiences. I would say what I learned most is an attention to detail um, that really isn't paralleled in, in any other community that I've, that I've come across. And, and that was due in large part to my time in the nuclear Navy, uh, which is a pretty anal retentive organization, um, but with lots of requirements and, and regulation and oversight. And, but that really set me up well to kind of look at everything with a critical eye um, and, and just kind of ask tough questions, which is, is really not all that common um, in, the, in the civilian sector. And this was really, really apparent. Um, as soon as I left the Navy, I left the Navy on a Friday, and I was working on Wall Street on Monday um, at Goldman Sachs, and, and that organization is very, very much concerned with 
uh, risk management, reputation management, and so forth, which is obviously something in the military that we deal with on a regular basis. How, would, how do we manage risk? And um, the training that I got in the Navy, um, particular, particularly the nuclear Navy, um, w- was just uh, un- unparalleled as far as making me ready to have a conversation with an investment banker about how they think about um, whether it's hedging foreign exchange risk or um, or counterparty risk or you know some other um, Wall Street term that really just kind of means like how do I not get screwed um, or how do I not like screw my my firm and um, when you think about the things that we used to have to ma- the risk that we used to have to manage in the military. Um, it kind of makes what Wall Street people do um, seem pretty irrelevant. Yet they, yet Wall Street nearly melted down the entire world in 2008 um, with the with the most recent financial crisis. So I think, I guess, wrapping it up, and that was a little bit uh, circuitous, but um, the attention to detail, learning how to um, uh, manage risk. And and just kind of keep a cool head when um, thing when people are stressing out um, and recognizing that you've probably dealt with a fair bit amount more of stress and and urgency in your previous job um, and that everything is going to be okay uh, that that helps when you're when you're uh, when your coworkers are are starting to get nervous about stuff is um, you, you tend to have a pretty steady hand okay and uh, Mike. Yeah, that's going to be a, a tough one to follow. But Steve did hit on the the, the managing risk and the the keeping a cool head under stress. Uh, I mean, he, you know, he came from the nuclear navy, so I, I got to give him credit for that. But you know, I came up in the explosive ordnance disposal community, so uh, we 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 dealt with a fair amount of risk and stress as well. Um, but really, I mean, for for me, the thing that I carry with me to this day. Um, is some of the personal interactions I had with people in the community. Like, I, I, mean, I mean, Chase and Chris, you guys come from soft backgrounds um, yourselves. And some of the folks that you, that you meet and interact with are some of the most exceptional human beings on the planet. Uh, folks, is, you know, from being on the EOD side, we were expected to, you know, learn our entire job and then go embed with the SEAL team or go embed with uh, an Army uh, SF ODA. And so um, to be able to uh, meet people who are able to just be such a master of, of all trades and to just know that, um, you know, things uh, that there's sort of like a, a, a method to attain all these skills. Uh, it, it, it's really sort of opened up my perspective that, um, you know, with intense focus and intense dedication and not spreading yourself uh, thin to, to a bunch of different projects, uh, really, truly great results can be achieved in the civilian world. Um, if you do sort of focus yourself and keep in perspective um, some of the, the harder, more difficult times you experience in the military. Okay, and, and Joe, what do you think? What's the, the most powerful thing you learned? Yeah, so I, I think there's a common thread along these answers. And, you know, for me, it's, you know, it, it was leveraging strengths and recognizing weaknesses. And humility is a big part of that. So, you know, whether it's your first day in a squad or a unit, um, you know, you're, you, you kind of go in with, um, you know, preconceived notions, uh, uh, you know, when I when I joined the Navy and joined the Naval Academy, there you know everyone had their own different backgrounds and strengths, and I think everyone was kind of uh, uh, humbled on their first day, realizing they were around a lot of the same kinds of people. And you know, people relied on you for your certain strengths and expertise, and and you did the same to them. And you know, over over my you know four or five years in the Navy. Um, you know, I, I learned, I think, how to do that and how to recognize the strengths in people and also, um, you know, how to overcome my weaknesses in, in leveraging that and helping helping others with my strengths. And uh, in the civilian world, um, you know, recognizing that was, was, was a challenge for sure and, and something that I learned in the military. So, you know, when I joined the sports community, my background was certainly respected, but no one, no one necessarily needed a, a military background. So at that point, it was kind of time for me to step back and 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 learn from everyone else, and and you know impart my 
I guess, leadership skills and uh, military skills in a way where I wasn't using the jargon um, and, and doing it in, you know, kind of integrating it to the civilian life, which was difficult. Um, and then in the FBI, it became time to more, you know, strong arm those skills because there was obviously a, a stronger military background in in law enforcement and the intelligence community. So, you know, uh, whether it was trying to connect with someone on a, a deeper level, uh, you know, knowing that they had a military background and, and kind of working off that. And then now that I'm in Europe and, and Steve brought this up, you know, uh, a lot of people just kind of view veterans as a, a, a blanket blanket group. And in Europe, I don't think that they, uh, I mean, they obviously understand and kind of respect the, um, the veteran background, but um, it, in all of my interviews with, with the, cur the current company I'm at, it never was uh, something that I leveraged. So it's just kind of, I guess, um, knowing when to, you know, be humble um, and, and knowing when to leverage your strengths and, uh, and also kind of strengthening your, your weaknesses from just, you know, being aware and uh, cognizant of, of the people around you. Um, humility is probably the, the one word I'd use to sum that all up. Okay, thank you. That's a, a thoughtful response. So another question for all three of you is not limited to tech-savvy individuals. What would you say to current and future transitioning veterans who are maybe a little bit intimidated by the idea of establishing themselves in a career after their military service? I think uh, the first thing foremost, and first and foremost, um, you need to do your homework and um, trust the people who you used to trust um, in the military, which means you need, you need to seek out um, whether they be um, senior mentors or just people who kind of did the, the transition a year or two ahead of you, because these people are they're at the coal face. They know exactly um, what what they what they've been through um, and they're the most recent transitioners. And I think they're uh, they're they're basically uh, experts at that point once you've kind of gone through the process. So um Start talking to people early, uh, and this is, you know, culturally, this is not something that's done in the military. is is kind of talking about your career, um, talking about yourself, um, and and talking about your career is just not done. And um, a, a good leader in the military will, will will not call someone a quitter, not you know give someone uh, the opportunity to talk about you know their their family and their career and that kind of thing. So. There's a, there are a host of resources out there, but you, you really you need to go out and seek them um, on your own. And you know, I, I, like I'm I'm one of those, right? I I, I left the military um, about 18 months ago. Since then, I've um, you know I got into business school, um, which you know I, I know all about that process. I've worked at a couple of different um, different types of firms, both Wall Street and tech companies, so both big and small. You know, so I, like I have, I have a lot of knowledge to tap into, and which is why Mike and I talk about, you know, writing down some of the things that we've done, just just to kind of keep it all straight. But also because it helps us reach more people who might need help. And I mean, we hear the same questions over and over and over again from folks, and we see the same mistakes when people pass us their resumes. You know, so this is. Um, this this process uh, that we keep talking about the transition uh, assistance programs and and that kind of thing it's really broken and you know we we're trying to fix that um, but until we until we get our arms around the problem um, there you you need to reach out to folks and uh, and ask questions and and do it early you know the, the like I joked before about how the time the time to do to take your transition assistance class is not the week before you go on terminal leave because it's already too late at that point. But the military really doesn't care. They just make sure they just want you to check the box so that you can get your DD 214 and leave. Um, so you need to take it upon yourself because no one else is going to manage your career for you. And to, to Steve's point, um, as far as networking goes, and I, I think that's that's a key point. Um, it, it's not only using your network, but it's building your network. So you know, a lot of people will call on and, and rely upon the people that they know, their classmates, their roommates, um, you know, their, their people like 
like like you know Chase, who who for us was you know was a, a great leader for us at the the academy. Um, but it's building that network. It's reaching out to the people who you don't know. But you know the the I found that the service academy, the military network, is they will bend over backwards for you and will make those introductions, whether it's to you know further your education to you know introduce you to someone else to get your foot in the door anywhere um you know they'll they're willing to do that so it's on it's on you to kind of you know do that reach out on your own um and then from there i i think one of the key points is and i, I found this when i started business school was to once you have your foot in the door don't then then bridge your network out even further don't you know don't rely on the veterans network at your company or at your school you know, don't get the, the veterans tab, you know, certainly embrace it, but don't, you know, pigeonhole yourself to that veterans tab in, in whatever organization you're with. Reach out, you know, grow yourself, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, different clubs or um, different interests, you know, introduce yourself to other people and and show that you you are willing to grow yourself outside of just that um, that that veteran identity you have for yourself also. I think that that's that's been very important for myself as far as uh, personal growth and for you know introducing myself to other people because you obviously have that that military background and then going out there and um, you know getting out of your comfort zone uh, and, and kind of getting ingratiated with other clubs, uh, cultures, groups is is important. Yeah, I mean I would. Um... It, it, networking sort of gets a really, you know, the, the, it's kind of a bad word in the military uh, and, and, and other professions too. Um, but if you think about it from the way Joe's talking about it, is it more of from a growth perspective? Uh, you're, you're trying to grow uh, the, the number of people who have similar backgrounds to you or grow the number of people who like you and want to help you out. Um, I, I know that for a fact, you know, when, when folks, every single company uh, and every person we've met in the company to a T has said, if someone reaches out to me um, personally and it's it's not a form email, it's just a, you know, one or two sentence email that asks uh, one or two questions, everyone that we've met, uh, at, at least it's starting at the veteran level, um, and like Joe said, it's important to sort of reach beyond that, but everyone who has that shared military um, background is at least willing to maybe not necessarily jump on a, a you know a long phone call with you, but uh, reply to your questions and it, it, at least start that that initial link in the chain. No, and you guys, you guys hit it all on the head. It is absolutely the veterans community that you know not only is where you know that's a base that you can you can build from, but that's not the only base. And it's it's so refreshing to hear you guys say that because. You know, we really do as a community have to have to branch out and, you know, include people in our experience and, and you know, show people what we can bring to the workforce um, and then also learn. And you guys hit it right in the head. So I got to I got to ask you the tough question now. You know, one of the things I loved about your guys' class when you came in, in early 2000s is that, you know, you knew 9-11, the world that we lived in. It had already happened. You guys knew you were going into war. And between all of us on this call, we've got probably half a century worth of you know, deployments. And you know, sometimes now, looking back on it, it seems like the country, you know, and just the the world in general seems you know very chaotic, and there's a lot of things going on. And I'm curious, what do you guys think? You know, are some of the issues that are really true to your heart? And as veterans in our community, that's so important to us, what can we do about that? Yeah, I'll. I'll this is Mike. I'll, I'll grab that one first. Um, it, it, it's something that that I still sort of co- struggle to come to grips with uh, as, as someone who recently left the military, um, and, and a lot of my really really close friends and peers um, are sort of uh, you know they're, they're still in, they're still fighting, and they're still kind of progressing to this this next um, phase of war that's a, that's a lot whole lot grayer um, than what we've seen in some of the how people. Have um, historically tried to portray, you know, the black and whites of the past. Um, so, you know, I, I, I've had to lean very hard on, on folks that transitioned three or four years before me, um, that, that had combat deployments, uh, that, that had, um, that 
struggle with some of the same experiences and the same questions um, as to, to, to sort of how to put all the pieces together. Uh, and it's really difficult, and I'm still working through it myself. But the, the, where we go from here, um, I, I think, is, is a really, really part of uh, – really, really important part of the national dialogue for the next, you know, 10 to 15 years. You know, I was sitting down watching the Republican presidential debate not too long ago. Um, and, and there's, there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, you know, how we deploy military forces, what's the right level of support. Um, uh, and, and we, we don't, we're not quite at the point yet as a country where, uh, a lot of the people who have been fighting the wars for the last 15 years, uh, our generation um, are we're not really at the point yet where they are in leadership positions in policy uh, in public office um, and I think we'll get there like in the next ten years or so and so I think there is kind of a lot of hope um, and, and, and promise for the future when when folks who who truly understand what it is like to be out there on on, on the front lines and, and what it is like to be um, part of uh, America's military for the last 15 years. You know, I'm not saying that everybody, every um, member of the public office should have that sort of experience, but it, it will be very, very nice when there is sort of that diversity of background at a national stage. And veterans, you know, uh, while, while it is important, um, you know, we're still a very, very small percentage of the of the American population. We 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 should keep that in perspective as well. But you know, looking at everything that we've, all the skills, all the hardships, and all the all the growth that has occurred for American service members over the last 15 years, um, I, th I think that where we go from here is we get more veterans in public office, we get more veterans starting businesses, uh, and, and we sort of use those lessons that we learned over the last 15 years to uh, to, to sort of make America better in the future. Yeah, that's, yeah, and, that's well um, said, Mike. Yeah, definitely. And and kind of going off what Mike said, as far as getting, you know, this generation of veterans into into leadership positions from growing businesses or or getting into um, politics, uh, you know, I think the military has to has to kind of, um, you know, level up with what veterans are doing, uh, you know, on 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 the civilian side as far as you know, things, you know, with thing, the things that Steve and Mike are doing at VedTech Trek, um, you know, it, it's, uh, they're, they're really attracting uh, junior officers, uh, you know, service members from all over to, you know, there are a lot of enticing, but business schools and education, there are a lot of enticing offers for, um, for military members to enter the civilian side and really grow, grow themselves. And I think um, it's incumbent upon the military to kind of step up that side of the game and in increase the uh, the breadth and width of programs like the TAP uh, transition assistance program to um, you know to to kind of match that because I feel like the the options for service members coming out uh, are are really attractive and um, you know it's uh, it's one of those things where Mike was talking about as far as you know people in uh, you know veterans in, in our generation getting into politics, they can kind of enact those changes because they're seeing it from our perspective and, and can make those changes. So while it might take some time, I think that eventually the military will catch up to what's kind of going on uh, on the civilian side of things. And I, I hope anyway that, um, you know, it'll get evened out. But, uh, you know, the things like that Vet Tech Trek are doing and other programs are fantastic in affording uh, veterans the opportunities to do things that I don't think were uh, afforded to, you know, if we were coming out 10, 15 years ago, even even close to that. So um, I, I think it's something that, that will, will improve and will continue to improve on both sides. Yeah, I think from my perspective, the decision to get out of the military is one that I never thought would be as hard as it was and ended up being the hardest decision I've ever made. Um, you know, looking back um, over, you know, the 30 years of my life, I can't think of something that I wrestled with more. Um, and, you know, to this day, there are still lingering effects. And and some sometimes it's, you know, hearing stories like one of my buddies who just got back from a submarine deployment and, you know, talking, getting kind of hopping back into the same uh, jargon and lingo and, and, you know, understanding 
what he's gone through, which included missing the birth of his his first daughter. Uh, you know, for me, uh, looking back, I'd love to be able to trade places with him so that he could have been there um, for that moment in his life. Those are the times where I, I kind of catch myself and think, you know, what I did was pretty special. I'm really proud of it. No one can take away my service, but gosh, I really wish that I could be out there so someone else doesn't have to do it. And, I, you know, I go and I just, we just had the, the Army-Navy game, uh, you know, a week and a half ago. And I got to see uh, all the all the mids and cadets kind of for the first time in, in a long time. And, and I'll tell you that, you know, the spirit that we used to enjoy of, of esprit de corps and, and brother and sisterhood is alive and well. And I'm really proud that these people are still choosing to do, to go into the, the, the as Mike put it, sort of this gray nebulous world where the enemy is kind of not as well defined. And I'm, but I'm really proud that the people are still kind of taking on that mission and they're serving honorably and admirably. If I could go back, I don't think I would change anything um, that I did or decisions that I made, I think is, which is a pretty good way to live your life. But um, every now and again, it, it, it hits me and I realize, you know, there are people out there stand and watch right now. There are people who are missing their families and uh, there are people in harm's way. And um, that, that's, that's something that we'll, I think we'll just kind of carry with us for a long time. And we just need to remember, you know, that, that, that that's taking place and, that the world is getting more complex. It's not getting simpler. And, and, uh, and, you know, we just need to, you know, do our best to understand the environment that we're in because, uh, because we're, we're at a, a really interesting time in our history where, um, we're not exactly sure what the future is going to hold for us and, and how we're going to, you know, continue to be, to have the, the greatest military in the world. Um, we need to continue to endeavor to, um, to 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 be the best and, and not take that for granted. Excellent, good good answers from all of you. Um, and just in summary, Mike, you mentioned that we need more veterans in, in public office, more vets in business, and this is something that VFL really champions. We really want more veterans involved in the political process and out there, you know, spearheading new job creation and innovation. Uh, Joe, you talk about how. It's not just about veterans seeking these positions as they get out. It's also about the military community and, and those who are friends of veterans helping them to, to find these positions and to navigate their way through this new job search. Uh, so I think it's a combination of personal responsibility, but also, you know, really good people out there setting the conditions for success. And then Steve, you said that the hardest decision you ever made is to get out. And that really resonates with me. I got out about a year ago from active duty. I missed it too much. I had to go back into the guard. But, yeah, it's a tough decision. Uh, it really is. And you're right. You know, it's it's great to see that people still are joining today, even when it's so unpopular to serve. In fact, in a poll earlier this month by the Harvard Institute of Politics, 60% of 18 to 29-year-olds support committing troops to fight ISIS. But about 62% of those same millennials refuse to serve. We're still maintaining the numbers that we need. And like you said, there are individuals that are standing on the wall and protecting us today. Uh, you know, I've got respect for, for all of them, especially in a time of war. So lastly, I have one more question for you guys. Um, for folks listening or, or reading this interview, if they're interested in supporting what you all are doing, uh, where can they go to read more about it and what can they do to help? Well, yeah, we been, uh, oh, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, um, so... For one, um, the the organization that that Mike and I are um, are running, Vet Tech Trek. Um, the website is vettechtrek.com, and I'll just spell that out: v-e-t-t-e-c-h-t-r-e-k.com. And uh, and from there, you can link to our blog, which is over on medium.com. And there, there's a there is a lot of good um, content over there that you can access, and um, uh, other ways for support. Um, if you're if you're a tech company or you're running a tech company or you're a founder, um, certainly reach out to us. We're both Mike or Steve at vettechtrek.com is our emails, and uh, and certainly um, in this in this time of 
uh, of giving, uh, the season of giving, where um, we are accepting um, donations to help us fund our operations. And you can link uh, to our donation page off our homepage as well. Okay, great. And then, uh, Joe, you have any? So any, uh, you know, kind of transition advice, whether it be, I guess, you know, the unconventional fields uh, such as sports, uh, very in tune with um, writing, and then also kind of government work, whether it be in the intelligence community or law enforcement community. My my email contact is joe.soloski, S-O-L-O-S-K-Y at gmail.com. And, and I'm happy to, you know, pay it forward and, and, and help out as, as much as I had, you know, dozens and dozens of veterans kind of do the same for me in the past. So I'll, I'll just, you know, wrap it up here in the end. Hey, guys, I just want to personally thank you all for taking the time and sharing your messages here. Um, you know, you really, you know, going through the military and going through the transition process isn't an easy thing. And, you know, Steve, Steve highlighted it really well. It's a tough thing. And to be able to come out on the other side and to be able to have these conversations and, you know, pave the way, pay it forward, it's a big deal. And so I just want to say thanks. We appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate what you guys do. Thanks so much for having us on. Yeah, thanks, guys. The Profiles of Liberty podcast is a production of veteransforliberty.org. Please be sure to like us on Facebook and share our webpage with your friends. And while you're there, check out our store for some fun new t-shirts and other products that help fund our operation. Thanks for listening.